Hello, everybody. I'm Carmen Poliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. Dilshar Dude from the California Retina Consultants, uh, based in Santa Barbara, California. And uh, we're going to talk about Dr. Dude's presentation at the Angiogenesis 2021 meeting, where he gave uh, some new data from the Panorama trial. Uh, Dilshar, would you like to tell, tell us about your presentation? Yeah, thank you for synthesis. Sure, thank you for having me, Carmen. It's, it's great to be here with you this morning. Um, this is actually very interesting data. This population of patients that have diabetic retinopathy, um, there's, there's been a fair amount of data looking at two steps and two step improvements with anti-VEGF therapy. Um, but who to treat, and, and why does it even matter? Well, vision-threatening complications like center-involving diabetic macular edema um, and proliferative diabetic retinopathy or anterior segment vascularization. We know these complications can occur at a more frequent rate in this population, specifically those patients that have moderately severe or severe non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy. And this was exactly the population that we looked at in the Panorama trial. And so we looked in a post-hoc fashion and we asked the question, can we further risk stratify this population based on angiographic features? And there's really two angiographic features that we could look at. One is baseline non-perfusion and the other is baseline leakage. And so we asked, if we look at these two baseline angiographic factors, do we see differing, differing rates of VTC or center DME incidence in the sham group versus the aflibercept group? And it turned out that there was. It turned out that as you had increasing baseline leakage or increasing baseline non-perfusion, there was an increasing trend in the sham group only, but not in the aflibercept group. And it turned out the aflibercept group had lower rates of VTCs or center DME compared to the uh, sham group, uh, irregardless of baseline non-perfusion or baseline leakage. So uh, uh, what was the uh, way the reading centers graded the non-perfusion? How did they do that? So they had unmasked readings that evaluated the uh, ETD seven field ETDRS angiograms. And so you know, that's probably one, uh, you know, Thing that I would change about this trial. You know, I would love to have had wide field angiographic data. Uh, this was seven field ETDRS and they measured these in a manual fashion and there were two readers and if there was a difference, uh, then a third reader would adjudicate that. Um, is this consistent with prior studies that have been done looking at non-perfusion and uh, vision threatening complications? Yeah, there's not been a whole lot of studies looking at, at, at this specifically. Certainly, you know, we've looked at with Charlie um, similar uh, angiographic findings in Vivida Vista and Rise and Ride, and those have also been seven field ETDRS. So, uh, what are you doing today in your clinical practice with eyes with non proliferative diabetic retinopathy? How are you treating them? It's a, it's a tough population because a lot of times it's a well-sighted population and they can have profound angiographic changes. And, and you, you, especially if they have good vision in both eyes, I start to plant the seed that, you know, there is uh, a therapy, anti-VEGF therapy that could certainly help improve, you know, the look of things. Um, you know, ultimately for the patient, they're wondering, you know, why does it matter? And so you have to have some level of buy-in that these patients are at risk. Uh, for uh, decreased vision over, say, the course of a year. And so I begin to plant the seed, and, 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 and eventually, uh, you know, a lot of patients will start to consider anti-VEGF therapy. Certainly, if the fellow eye has been affected with DME or proliferative diabetic retinopathy, they're more apt to uh, receive a treatment or, uh, or consider treatment. 
I think the panorama data was very helpful. So we could see that, you know, the, the, the treating these patients are even on a Q16 week basis is, is much more palatable than in, say monthly or every eight weeks. So in, in the real world clinical situation, are you doing it every two months, every four months? You know, I might start doing it every couple months, and then I actually will extend it out to every every four months or so, just based on the panorama data. We can see that there's a, there's that risk reduction that's still uh, quite marked at every four months, and I think that for patients that have good vision, uh, it's just easier for them to tolerate. So the results aren't surprising that the more non-perfusion you have, the more diabetic macroedema, vision-threatening complications you you develop. Uh, were there anything that any findings that were surprising? You know, there was a there were there was some interesting uh, data when we looked at ethnicity. It turned out that in African American populations, it was almost like the inverse. It more, uh, you know, non-perfusion you had, there was a higher proportion of African American African American patients um, that seemed to have more non-perfusion. But then it, when we looked at baseline leakage, it was kind of the alternate. It was the the greater the baseline leakage, there was a lower proportion of African American patients. And so there that was the only ethnic. Uh, you know, trend that we saw when we looked at the data. Aside from that, you know, I think that the data was 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 intuitive. I mean, like for the most part, it kind of uh, followed along what you might think. Uh, but it does give us, you know, some uh, further way to risk stratify. Certainly, it's been the question has come up: Is it worth treating these patients that have good vision? Um, you know, the talk prior to mine by Jenny Sun. Um, you know, ask that same question. And I think that if we're able to further risk stratify these patients, um, it may very well be worth treating these patients. Um, you can imagine one day when there's, you know, um, artificial intelligence that can help us read these angiograms in a more quantitative fashion, uh, that it will be even easier uh, to risk stratify the patients. So is there a practical way of identifying patients that are at higher risk looking at more eyes with more extensive non-perfusion or leakage, those are the ones that you should consider intervening in? Yeah, I think it's kind of a, it's a gestalt, right? When we look at the angiogram, you know, we don't have a software yet that can actually quantify it for us, you know, these, these variables in, in an easy fashion. And so I think you have to, you look, you look at the angiogram, if there certainly is some level uh, of non-perfusion that, that's visible uh, easily, I think that patient's at higher risk and certainly uh, it makes sense to consider treating that patient. You know, if we see profound leakage, um, it, that, that's also a patient that potentially we'd want to treat earlier rather than patients that might may have, you know, findings that are consistent with moderately severe or severe NPDR, but really don't have those baseline characteristics. Well, Dr. Dute, thank you so much for your participation in the retina synthesis program. And, uh, a very interesting uh, set of data and more to come, I'm sure. Thank you hey. for being with us. Thank you for having me, Carmen. Appreciate it.